the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with Earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch. And we're just going to start with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for all your beautiful gifts and blessings, uh, for your beautiful creation that testifies to you and your handiwork that um, we're without excuse. We can see your glory. We can see your love and all your preparations, the perfection of your wisdom. And so, Lord, help us to see that more and more as we come into the times that are uncertain and confusing and that we can get tossed about at times in the storms of things. And uh, help us to keep our eyes on you, to trust in you, to have our hope in you. And so we thank you for all your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, I hope that you're having a good summer so far. I I know that uh, there's so many things that may be coming um, ahead of us, and, you know, maybe not. We don't know whether they come or don't. Our hope is in Him. Um, I pray that you you set your sights and your, um, your future in His hands, and not in the hands of the things of this world, because they're changing every day. And course, we'll lose hope if we look at those things. But if our eyes are on him, we'll keep our hope. And uh, just anybody out there who doesn't know Jesus yet, um, please, I pray that you prayerfully seek him, that you give him an honest opportunity to reveal himself to you. The, The evidence is so magnificent. It's really overwhelming. If you just open your heart, he wants to bring you into his kingdom today. And so, um, today we're going to hit the ground running. And so fasten your truth belts as we talk about preparing for spiritual battle, recognizing offense as a wound of pride. And so last episode, we continued our discussion that we should prepare our hearts and minds for spiritual battle. And our focus at this time is to defend against wounds we might receive at the hand of man, something others can do to us that wound us, try to take us out. And they are operating as the agent of Satan. It's really Satan trying to wound us. And we can't remember. We war not with flesh and blood, right? It's darkness. And so keep our eyes on God's promises. And we don't want to be sidelined by these things that come. We want to be ready for them and practice how to um, heal when this time comes. And so we look at how the wound of shame and the wound of offense are actually two sides of what really is a wound to our pride, Right. And so believers who have dedicated ourselves to fulfilling God's assignments in life, we must remember that the enemy will send emissaries to take you out. 
And as we saw in our last episode, uh, in the case of Peter, Jesus allowed Satan to try him and to sift him, right? And he allows him to sift us and to try us so that we can actually practice the things that we have learned from him. And once we learn how to fend off those attacks and heal our wounds and get back on the field, then Jesus can promote us just the way he promoted Peter to the next level of expertise. And he can trust us with more precious responsibilities in his kingdom work. He doesn't, he doesn't try to get us out of the trials. He uses them for our growth. And we have to recognize that and just know that the world is full of tribulation. And so we see that the wounds of shame, as with Peter, are like wounds of offense because they both wound our pride. And of course, we want to be cautious about letting pride take us out of action because that's Satan's greatest sin. That's all he's really got to offer you is, is, uh, Uh, your pride. And so wounds of offense can take us out of our commission from God because we doubt that we're valued or appreciated, right? Offense tends to come with a sense of injustice, and indeed there may really be injustice. And yet we're called to shake it off, to dress our wounds, to submit all judgment and all revenge, all to straighten out all things. We submit that to God. And then we must be determined to move forward in spite of what may have happened to us. And so a good example of this kind of wound is seen when John the Baptist was shut up in prison. And this apparently confused and discouraged him. I know we've all felt that way. And in fact, he sent emissaries to ask Jesus if he really was the Messiah. Can you believe that? The one who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What's he doing in prison saying, hey, is it really you? And I think John felt forgotten, right? And perhaps after he'd done all he had for the kingdom, he didn't expect to be left alone in prison if the Messiah was really true, right? Even though he had said, I must increase, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so it was a hard thing that God was asking of him to suffer in such a way, off in a dark dungeon, after being God's number one guy out in public, opening the kingdom pathway for God. He was very bold um, to confront sin and to call people into the kingdom. And so, frankly, I think it was humiliating and disorienting. It made him doubt everything he'd done alone there in the dark with his thoughts. And I know we're vulnerable to that, right? And Satan was probably throwing darts of offense at his mind as he sat there. And when John's emissaries came and asked Jesus, his response was to simply spend the day doing ministry and didn't even try to answer what was probably John's real question, which was really, if you're the Messiah, why have you left me here all alone? Right? That must have been very painful. And all Jesus said was in Luke seven twenty two, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. That was quite an answer, wasn't it? And it must have been quite the spiritual battle when John received this reply. But God made sure, Jesus made sure that he had the reply he needed, that um, those were qualifications of the Messiah that John knew well about from uh, Isaiah and other places. And so it was just the only response was the word is being fulfilled according to the scriptures. The prophecies are being fulfilled. And that's it. And he let that stand. So sometimes God doesn't give us a full answer. And he asks us to for that to be enough, to trust him. And that's what he asked of John. 
Um, and God trusted John to fight through it and to remember his calling, to humble himself and to go through the suffering, the injustice, the loneliness, and the doubts. And the Bible's full of those who have suffered attack from enemies of God, and the Lord asked them to suffer through for his glory. And these things, uh, these thoughts and uh, torment us. Only God's word and promises can guide us through. And so we see in 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. We can trust him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we see this is not unexpected. This is part of the walk with God because we're in an unjust world, a world full of sin, and yet God is glorified. We're the light shining in the darkness. We don't become like the darkness. That's what makes us stand out, and it's a hard thing he asks us to do sometimes, and we have to just trust him, and he gives us a formula of how to persevere. we we got to take our eyes off of us and and remember these things. That's why we practice them. And so we must learn to recognize these spiritual battles that attack our minds, no matter how small they might come, so that we can practice, as Second Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know him? If we know him, this won't take us out. We can hang on, right? And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, trust him, right? They always say when they, when they train you through anything for any difficult challenges, they trust the training, right? Trust your training and just do it by muscle memory. And that's what God asks us to do now, to study his word and to store up the spiritual cures that we know are in the Bible against those wounds that will come. They will always come. And so we can quickly treat ourselves. And we do that through praise and worship and through deep, uh, contemplative, serious uh, prayer, and then by tending our wounds with the word of God, we must know it, we must have it. If you just picture your little first aid kit that a lot of us carry around in our car, you pop that open and you go, what's in here that will help me? And that's what the Bible is. That's what his promises are in the day of trouble, right? And so we look at both sides of pride, shame and offense, and we find that the antidote to both the wounds of pride uh, the wounds of shame and the wounds of offense is humility. And so for shame, as we spoke about last time, we must recognize that we are all still flawed humans in spite of being saved, right? We're growing and we have not achieved perfection yet and should not be surprised when we fall short. It shouldn't take us by surprise. We shouldn't be so bogged down by shame and our behavior or what we've done or failed to do that it takes us out, uh, and that Jesus paid for every sin, and he purchased flawed human beings. He knows that every bit expecting to bring us through the maturing process. That's what he wants to do. Like a good coach, he doesn't expect a perfect team yet, but he works with the team to bring them to that perfection through the flaws. And then when we humble ourselves, we can accept his lessons and learn and grow 
then we're fit for the next level of assignments. And that's what we want. That's what we should want if we're true followers of Jesus. And that's what we are training for. And we're when we are offended by some perceived injustice, our pride reacts. Isn't that the case? In both cases, a dose of humility is needed. Both may be healed through an apology and or forgiveness, one way or the other. Whether you're the apologizer or the one forgiving, it's humility, right? And pride is healed through recognition and confession that we are no better than others. We are not highly esteemed, right? The Bible warns against thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But we are valuable. We are equal value to God. He paid the same price for all of us. And so we're not more or less valuable than any other. We have to have a right perspective of ourselves. And so we know that there will be offenses in the world at the hands of the unbelieving spirit of the Antichrist. And so we should not be surprised. Remember the parable of the sower in Matthew thirteen twenty that the second seed that went out landed on stony ground, and it was received with joy, right? But then it says that when a time of tribulation or persecution comes for the word's sake, that that person is offended and they fall away. That's a frightening thought because it was initially received with joy. So you see, it's possible to go, hey, I love this whole Jesus thing. That's great. And many in the church are offended by by something, either by persecution outside or persecution or tribulation or difficulty within. And so they fall away. And then we also see in Matthew 18, 7, talks about woe to the world of, uh, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So you see, the Lord has not lost track of these things. He knows he's the righteous judge and he will judge righteously. And we have to trust that. We, we don't want to rise up and defend ourselves and say, where are you, God? How can you let this happen to me? Just like with Peter, just like with John, he's permitting it for the greater good. And we have to trust his motives and that he still loves us. And there's many other verses that warn us as true followers of Jesus that Satan will not stop trying to attack us, to take us out, and to turn us back through persecution. He uses the world around us to persecute us and to stop us and to shut us up. We can't fall for it. And when this happens, Jesus said, to turn the other cheek. Can you believe that? What a mystery this is. In Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whosoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. See, a slap is an insult. It's a degrading thing to do. Um, And you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so, you know, the Bible says they shall know you by your fruit, and it's by your fruit for love for one of another. Um, And we should be loving towards the world. The the idea to pray for somebody who's done you great harm, I know we struggle with that. Um, But when you think about the idea of pray for someone who has persecuted you, you know, a great prayer is simply, 
Lord, change his heart, change him, because he's good. they're going out and hurting other people. What a great prayer to pray for them. If, even if you can't pray for a blessing like, oh, make them richer and make them prosper, maybe that's like, no, I don't want that for them. Well, but we can pray that God changes their heart, brings them to faith. And I tell you, that's a great victory. And when that happens, you could go to them and say, you know, I was really hurt by you. And then I decided to pray for you. And I'm so glad that you've come to know him. And frankly, you're saving others from the harm of that person if you can, with sincerity, pray that the Lord brings them to faith. And so there's ways to do it. God is wise, and he knows how to, and he will bless you for following his directions, right? And so our calling is to let God deal with these things. He's our defender, right? What Satan means for evil, he will use for good. He will not let us be ashamed because we truly trust him. It's very difficult. That's the battle. If it were easy, then we wouldn't have any challenge in it, and there would be no reward, would there be? And so we see, for example, in Psalm thirty-seven, eighteen, the Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And then Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. He, we can trust him, right? And then Psalm ninety-one, fourteen. because he set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And so even when we're persecuted unto death, we know many Christians around the world are persecuted unto death. That breaks God's heart. Precious is the blood of the saints. In his eyes. And so it breaks his heart, but it's part of the plan for now. And he will restore all things. We have to trust that end will be worth it, right? And so he says he will honor us for hanging in there, even through the worst of the worst, and trusting him because he does have a purpose. And so offense might come at the hands of a wicked world culture, and we must stand in such a day as Jesus also suffered and stood strong for God's glory, right? But the kind of offense that typically wounds a believer, especially a strong believer, um, and that threatens to take us out of our assignment, that wound typically comes from within the church. And this wound brings deep bitterness and resentment, not only towards the church, but toward the work of the church or the work been given to them by God and even towards God himself. And I tell you, this is a dangerous, dangerous wound. And uh, I know many people have been taken out by it. I talked with a man one time for about an hour, and he argued about how there was no God and had all this philosophy to spout about how there's no God and there's evolution and all that stuff. And he brought a lot of challenges um, and, frankly, accusations to the accuracy and authority of the Bible. So he was well-versed, and he had done a lot of research to bring these accusations And something made me want to keep talking with him, even though he was a very proud man who had thought he had it all figured out. And so typically, I don't want to dispute with someone like that. And after a while, I usually just say, okay, sounds like you've decided already. I'm not going to be able to change your mind, and that's fine, because you have free will to accept Jesus and go to heaven or to reject Jesus and not go to heaven. And so, actually, I was just getting to that point. I was about to just say that to him. Okay, you've decided. That's your your decision. Um, when it, all of a sudden it came out that the man grew up in the church, which surprised me. 
And in fact, he was really involved and even into his early adulthood with the church, and he knew the Bible pretty well. And here he was, not just rejecting God, but actually converting and trying to convert others against him. And so the Holy Spirit all of a sudden showed me what was going on. And before I could even think about it, I said, I'm sorry, Mike. I don't know who hurt you so badly, but it wasn't God. He didn't hurt you. He loves you. And whatever happened, you need to know that he loves you and he wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back to him. He's calling you back to him and he wants to heal you. Don't make him throw you away. And so the man who had a very strong, confident stance before that suddenly just dropped his hands by his side and started crying. And he covered his face and just really let it all out. And um, and that was it. I could see that's what really happened. Even though he had never mentioned a word, the Holy Spirit showed me and showed me what to say to him and that it was an event of offense from the church and it took him out for decades to the point where he was campaigning against God. But his, oh, his whole attitude changed after this. And as we talked a while longer, longer, I want to tell you that he gave his life back to the Lord right then and there. And he gave me a big hug before he went away and thanked me profusely, thanked me and was just so touched and said, I, you've changed my life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit knew he was wounded and God wanted him back. And the man, it touched his heart, and he believed it. And there's so many walking wounded out there, wounded by the church. And that's how the burden of offense is. Satan took him out, and it was because of his pride and likely a perceived injustice in the church. And it really may have been an injustice, right? But friends, we can't be such easy prey for the enemy, right? So we must trust the Lord when injustice and offense comes. Our one mindset, regardless of the circumstances, is to follow Jesus's example and walk in humility, regardless of the circumstances. We see in Matthew twenty three eleven, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And uh, we set our eyes on God and put our trust in him and do things his way. That's how we get out and we recover from such a wound. We see in Romans 12, Paul describes the life of a believer toward each other. Romans twelve fourteen, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we see here that it's not just talking about non-believers, but also within the church, because this happens. Uh, And those who are in the church, even whether they're true believers or not, because both are in the church, right? Paul addresses the human nature 
that still dwells even in the believer and warns them to recognize these flaws and live humbly, peacefully, and patiently with one another. And we see this in Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. He's talking to the church. But in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem, esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests in others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That's what they want from us. Jesus and God, (laughs) and becoming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And so we see throughout the New Testament that believers are urged to grow in their faith and prefer one another to trust God and not to cling to our selfish pride. But this is because we're all still growing, and we do have pride, and we do think we're right all the time. I always think I'm right, don't you? (laughs) Yet not everyone is right. Not everyone is wrong. Sometimes both are right, but we won't humble ourselves to see that. And that's what makes us wrong as believers. And sometimes well-meaning people get different ideas in their head, and disputes are dangerous and create bitterness and division in the church. And that's Satan's goal. And we have to remember that in spite of all these things, as a true believer, we should listen to Jesus and Paul concerning godly conduct, and that we would eventually be able to repair the rift. And if we, we can't bring ourselves to do it in our hearts, we should do it in obedience to Christ and be sure to forgive and cleanse our heart from bitterness, trust God for setting things straight, and to move forward in our walk healed in our hearts. We must pursue this so that the enemy can't take us out. We're actually going to talk a little more about this wound and other wounds next time. And until then, may God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.